Bertrand Russell, the famous 20th century atheist philosopher, in his book, Why I Am Not a Christian, Russell says this of the human condition. Man's origin, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collisions of atoms. No fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. Thus, all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And, he continues, the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be burned, buried, beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, he says, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's salvation henceforth be safely built. So in the world he surveys, that world can only lead to what Russell calls an unyielding, Foundation of despair. It is a joyless and bleak universe. Slow, sure, doom falls, pitiless and dark. Now, leave to the side the fact that Russell is incoherent here on a number of fronts. What he is right about is this. He's right about the nature of of the darkness. The nature of living in a land where, as C.S. Lewis would put it, it is always winter, but it is never Christmas. And it is impossible to, to hear, right, to taste, to see the light, to be awakened by the strange luminosity of Christmas without taking the full measure of the darkness which provides its backdrop. And our text is the Isaiah 9 reading, which is on page 5 of your bulletin if you want to consult it. It is a prophecy of the coming light of Christ, given some 700 years before his birth. And what is significant about it among other things, is that at the very opening of his public ministry, Jesus cites this text. Beginning of verse 2, he cites it of himself. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. The world into which Christmas comes is not only a world walking in darkness, but a world dwelling in a land of deep, thick darkness. It's the world Bertrand Russell describes. So notice then the realism, like the sobriety of Christmas. It takes the condition of the world with full seriousness. It doesn't blink. It's not sentimental. 
and engages in no flattery of the human predicament. Christmas, God becoming flesh in the womb of the virgin, is, I think, too familiar to us. We think we know it, but we regularly tame it. We manage it. We think we can shrink it down to what are its appropriate and acceptable limits. But the thing, it turns out, is much more mysterious and full of shadows and much stranger than it appears in the popular imagination. For starters, there's a bloodthirsty king. And the child is called a sign of contradiction who's going to be opposed, who is destined for the rising and falling of many. And then there's this terrible sword of sorrow, which we are told of in advance will pierce Mary to her heart. And soon there's an exile, a flight to Egypt, followed by a massacre, the infanticide of Herod. Right There is the land of deep darkness, Thick darkness, now threatened, lashing out in opposition from the beginning. From the beginning, the Gospels tell us, Christmas meets with ferocious resistance. And it's against that bleak backdrop that Jesus of Nazareth says, I am the light of the world. I am not a light. I am the light, the singular burning in the world. Whoever follows me, he says, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In John's gospel, he is said to be the light which shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So, this is not a tame light. It's not a warm or a charming or a vaguely uplifting light. But Jesus did not say, I am the scented candle of the world. Because he's not a kind of religious glowing thing, which just sits comfortably next to the darkness. This is a lethal light which breaks into the world in Jesus Christ. In the end... If you heard the readings from the prophets, in the end, this light will banish the darkness. And centuries earlier, Isaiah sees the light dawning, the light that will do just that. It brings, in verse 3 of the text, joy. Light brings joy, genuine joy, a thing beyond our fluctuations or our natural dispositions. Genuine joy does not arise in Bertrand Russell's universe, in the world of unyielding despair. Now, counterfeits arise, to be sure, but the thing itself, abiding light and joy, that's an exquisite rarity. This light, and you can see this also in verse 3, comes to bring a kind of festive, abundant, harvest gladness to human beings. But Isaiah doesn't stop there. In verse 4, we see that the light liberates. Jesus came, he said, to set us free. 
to break our yoke of bondage to sin. Right? And people who do not see themselves enmeshed in the darkness, in need of liberation, are people who cannot celebrate Christmas. I mean, you can mark it. You can exchange gifts, but you can't celebrate it. For this one came to taste our sadness. To sympathize with us. To enter into our plight. To bear our shame and our weakness. And to break our bondage. The God who sent this son thinks the human predicament is grave. Otherwise, the story becomes a mockery. It is a monstrous lie to think that this baby will end up naked, lacerated, disfigured, and gasping in agony, executed as a criminal of the Roman state for a people who are basically okay and in pretty decent shape, maybe in need of a little guidance, but not in need of deep liberation. This light comes to liberate. And it also, in verse 5, the light puts an end in due time to human warfare and all of its weaponry. Jesus is not merely about saving souls, though he's about that. He comes to heal the nations. He comes to make war cease to the ends of the earth. This is a royal, kingly, sovereign, lethal light. And notice something else about light in general and the light in this text. It's unconstrained. It doesn't stay in religious boxes. This is a light that will have its way with every human creature. And there's no facet of human life And there's not a square inch of the cosmos that this light will not transfigure. And though there's much that lies in the future, indeed, a great deal of Isaiah's vision has already been accomplished. Jesus understood this well when he took this text and applied it to his own ministry. We are not left to speculate about what Isaiah meant. Jesus told us. So I want to ask a bit more about the font, the the source of this light. So Jesus, the one who appears as the light, is called in verse 6, Wonderful Counselor. Being the divine wisdom in human flesh, he's a counselor. Wonderful here has the force of something like supernatural counselor. He's a shepherd. He's a pastor. He's a healer of souls. And he is also, the text tells us, the mighty God. The claims that Jesus makes are astonishing. But don't miss this. They were made for him and about him by the prophets centuries before. So this light about which we speak at Christmas is divine light because the light bearer is God. He declares himself to be the mighty God, and he summons all to turn, to repent, to follow him. No one speaks like this one speaks. 
Which is why no one ever said of Jesus' ministry, he's so inspiring and uplifting. He just makes me want to be a better person. Right? Because he's not a religious therapist or a motivational speaker. He's the mighty God. He brooks no rivals. And it's always striking to engage Jesus in the Gospels and notice he cites no authorities. He relies on no experts. He coordinates himself with nobody. He calibrates himself with no one. He considers his own word the highest authority in heaven and on earth. As C.S. Lewis said, if such claims are, true, are not true, they are of no importance. If they are true, they are of infinite importance. What they cannot be is of moderate importance. Right? As if what we needed was a little bow in Jesus' direction once or twice a year. What we have here is the mighty God becoming flesh. And on this topic... The great British mid-20th century writer Dorothy Sayers said this. She said, from the beginning of time until now, this is the only thing which has ever really happened. We may call this doctrine exhilarating, or we may call it devastating, we may call it revelation, or we may call it rubbish. But if we call it dull, then what in heaven's name is worthy to be called exciting? Isaiah also says he's the prince of peace. So he's a king indeed, but this is a new kind of kingdom. It's a peaceable kingdom. He does not, he shall not end oppression and violence by oppression and violence. The light scatters the darkness without the weapons of the darkness. How can this be? What shape will this take? Israel asked expectantly for centuries. Or what more precisely, what more specifically, is the divine answer to the darkness, the despair, and the violence, and the warfare? In short, the answer is a baby. It's a baby. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. In all the weakness all the vulnerability of our human existence. God of God, light of light, shines forth. Sayers, Dorothy Sayers again, he can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. It's in that great paradox, in this baby, that we have what the Apostle Paul would call a weakness of God that is stronger than men, a foolishness of God which is wiser than men. Grasping that paradox That mystery is grasping the Christian faith. In the incarnate and crucified Christ, there is something incredibly weak, 
It's a weakness of God stronger than the strength of men and something incredibly foolish. A foolishness of God which is wiser than men. And so we need to strip this baby of all sentimentality. You know who the first person to do this was? His mother. Mary, in her Magnificat, her hymn of gratitude and praise, she dons the mantle, the garment of a prophet, a prophetess of the Lord. And she declares that this baby in in her womb is going to fill the hungry with good things and satisfy the poor and send the rich away empty-handed and tear down rulers and the powerful from from their thrones and exalt the lowly. She thinks that the baby in her womb is going to overthrow the entrenched powers in the world and make the world new. Mary doesn't think, she does not think he's harmless. You know, in the mid-second century, there was a book called The Infancy Gospel of Thomas. It's always been recognized as a fraudulent gospel. In this gospel... When Jesus is five years old, on a Sabbath, a young lad takes a tree branch and he starts mucking with these pools of water, which Jesus had, Jesus was playing, he was five years old, he had collected these pools of water. So Jesus pronounces a curse on this other boy and he withers and dies. Later, another child bumps into Jesus in the street and Jesus strikes him dead. Needless to say, I won't bore you with the story, but Joseph calls him in and has a little talk with him. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Now, it's easy to see why the church rejected such a book from its canon. The church knew firsthand this was not the Prince of Peace. This was not the child they knew from firsthand experience. But there's one thing this book gets right. Just like Russell gets the darkness right, there's one thing the book gets right. Namely, this is a dangerous, lethal baby. But his weaponry is embodied weakness. A gospel of peace. A shining forth of light into the darkness. Finally, notice one last thing. The baby, the child, the son is given. How silently, how silently. The wondrous gift is given. This is sheer gift. You cannot earn this light. You cannot be worthy of this light. It appears in the text. It dawns. It dawns on those engulfed in a land of deep darkness. And apart from this light, I think Russell is right. We have nothing but an unyielding foundation of despair in a dark, blind pitiless world. So do not be one who insists that they see that somehow they do not stumble in the darkness. That for them the mighty God as a baby later publicly executed in shame, for them such a gift is unnecessary. Rather, let me exhort you. Receive the light the joy, the liberation, the peace of Christmas by accepting what's given, what's free. The gift given as baby 
the gift of Jesus, the light of the dark world. Amen.